Welcome to the What in the World is God Doing podcast. Conversations with Highland Park Missions Partners in Casper, Wyoming and around the world. In the midst of global crises and a daily onslaught of discouraging news, this podcast will encourage you about the good work God is doing around the world and inspire you to join in God's mission in our everyday lives. Highland Park Community Church exists to take risks to pursue God and love like Jesus. And our mission partners are courageously living that out at home and abroad. I'm Darren Adwell Palker, the Go Pastor at Highland Park. And joining me today in the studio is Patrick and Jamie Noctegall. Patrick and Jamie are both third generation Church of God missionaries and have been serving for over 22 years in Hong Kong, then as the regional coordinators in the Church of God for Europe and the Middle East and have recently transitioned as missionaries in Italy. Patrick and Jamie, so grateful that you're here. Welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, man, there is so much to talk about. Your story, your experience, your background. They're They're so rich. There's so much there. But I'll direct people to a book that you recently wrote where you kind of share your story. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, typically, I, I write books about globalization and religion and kind of the interaction of Christianity and, and all the global shifts that are happening. But um, recently, I did something a little bit different. I wrote um, my personal memoir uh, about my experiences kind of traveling, around, uh, not so much about traveling around the world, but my call to be a missionary that I received when I was eight years old um, to go to China and work with the poorest of the poor in China. And um but actually, the, the real reason for the writing of the book isn't so much to kind of talk about myself and tell my story and all that, because that's kind of just obnoxious. Uh, the real reason was because uh, I, I have had so many friends want to drop out of church, mm. so many people frustrated with um, where Christianity is, where religion is. Um, they see wars over religion, the manipulation of religion. And so yet still for thousands and thousands of years, religion just never goes away. Um, so I decided to write a book for my non-Christian friends, for atheists, for agnostics, that would kind of explains why religion just kind of keeps hanging around, what role it plays in society and the world and historically. And then I interweave all that kind of with um, personal stories of my journey that often involve a lot of embarrassing, humiliating things and funny things and because I don't want to bore anybody to tears. But really, it was very much uh, a book that I wrote um, to help people who are feeling very burnt by the church, yeah. you know. Well, and your perspective is so unique in that you're born in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. and then you've both been missionaries, and you visited been in what over 80 countries yeah that's right and so you've had such a macro perspective of what's happening in the church and so you're just a great person i would highly recommend the book um it's called no religion required that's right and people can get it on amazon sure awesome good well hey guys we're recording this on march 23rd 2022 and the russian offensive in ukraine has been happening now for almost exactly an entire month and we're all inundated by the pictures, by the news stories. Uh, I haven't met a person that hasn't in some way been deeply moved by this, but your perspective is really unique because of your relationships with people on the ground there. And so I wanted to have this conversation so that those listening can get a perspective of what's happening in Ukraine. Yes, from that 
big picture perspective, but also from the on the ground perspective. What are the the people and the churches doing that you know and, and the context that you've had? So we'd love to just have that conversation. Obviously, there's so many angles of which to take this conversation, but I'd really like to do the best we can to focus on the work of the Church of God in Ukraine, um, in Russia, in the surrounding countries. So just start by giving us an overview of where are we at at this stage of the crisis, the war? Right. Well, um, we have people in both Russia and Ukraine in churches that, that we absolutely love. They're wonderful people, tenderhearted people that love the Lord. And uh, prior to this, you know, they were they were in great places. We were, we were very excited about the young leadership in both countries. Um, the church is very um, evangel, you know, evangelical, um, all about reaching the community. Uh, and uh, so we were in such a good place. And you know, it's kind of the way Russia and Ukraine were prior to the war. Um, although Russia, especially, still has quite a bit of problems. You know, going in and out of Russia over the last ten years. Uh, there, you know, there was a slight middle class emerging. There was there was more prosperity than there's been. There was more peace. There was less crime. There was better prices. Um, you know, there was quite a bit of traction that had been made in the last ten years, especially. And then Ukraine, definitely, it was kind of experiencing a real boom and a renaissance. And so, both for the countries and for the churches, it's just been so discouraging to see, like, literally within. Uh, a day or two or three or a week that that is completely been reversed. And so um, at the moment, we're very shut off from our um, Christian friends in Russia. It's too dangerous for them to speak with us anymore. They could be accused of working with uh, the West or the Ukraine or NATO. Um, they're already heavily monitored on a good day, but now with what's happened, that's really going to be cutting us off from all of our Russian believers. And until until they are in a safe place or outside of the country, and some of them are, are considering just crossing the border and getting out permanently from Russia. So that's that's really painful to just not have any contact and seeing their lives overturned. But then in Ukraine, you know, that's that's a different situation. We, we've lost contact with some people uh, who are in horrible, dangerous situations. Then others are still in contact but are on the run, and then others have crossed and are in a safe place. But what is definitely for sure is in both countries, our churches are you know, pretty much in crisis mode. If they still survive and if they're still functioning, they are they're in crisis mode. We are proud of you know the churches in the Ukraine that are still... Uh, able to meet because they haven't been in cities that are completely bombed all the time. They are busy as ever doing as much work for the Lord as they can and evangelizing through this. So, I mean, that's some great news. And uh, the stories we get from them are just very inspiring. So there's about 11 Church of God churches in Ukraine, maybe roughly 300 believers or so. Mm -hmm. And so... Explain a little bit about how the church in the surrounding countries are able to respond to the refugee crisis that's taking place. Yeah, sure. Well, in 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 the Church of God, you know, everybody has been ready to mobilize. We already have a really fantastic uh, refugee ministry based in Paris, um, and uh, <clears throat> so they bring a ton of experience to. 
situations like this. They've been working with Syria and the North African crisis. And uh, so that's fantastic. But we've had, you know, the church in uh, Hungary, which shares a border with Ukraine, mobilize extremely quickly, making regular trips, getting supplies up there. Uh, the church in Germany has been fantastic. Um, same thing with supplies and, 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 and money. Um, but, you know, one of the nice things that's come out of this, not just for our churches, but even for other churches in, in Ukraine and in Poland, is that all these kind of, you know, denominational battles and, and fights that people have in the church about this, that, or the other and competition has really gone out the window. And, and both in Ukraine and, and uh, in Poland, there's been an incredible kind of, um, you know, rallying together that, you know, we all just need to forget about all that stuff and work as a team and, and we don't care who gets the credit. And, and uh, you know, even if one of our churches has more funds than they need, they'll give that to another church down the street that has no international connections or something. So that's really a beautiful thing that's coming out of this. And speaking of funds, I know that the Church of God Disaster Relief has um, a way of connecting churches and what's happening. So, Jamie, could you just share how that work is taking place? Yeah, um, the Disaster Relief Program through Church of God Ministries um, has been always there to address, you know, urgent crises around the world as they happen. And, um, and so it was, it was great to have that mechanism in place so that we could just very quickly address what was happening on the ground. And so almost immediately um, after the, um, the war started, we were able to get funds to our brothers and sisters in Germany, um, our churches in Hungary, um, figure out mechanisms of getting funds into Ukraine, which is a little bit complicated sometimes. Um, but now we do have those those pathways in place so that um, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are able to purchase the supplies that they need, food, um, medicine, water, uh, basic you know, life needs, um, also vehicles. I mean, suddenly everyone is needing a vehicle in order to transport people, transport supplies, so it's been really awesome to see that coming into place. And, and the disaster relief fund through the Church of God, um, 100% of the funds go to uh, the places in need. There's no administrative fees taken or anything. Um, and so that's a great way to get involved. And the regional coordinator for Europe and the Middle East, uh, coordinators, uh, Nate and Stacy Tapman, um, are the point people who are able to make sure that those funds are going to the right places, being utilized in the most effective manner, um, and kind of coordinating, because all of our countries in the region are mobilizing in one way or another uh, to help in this situation, whether it's through supplies or finding lodging for people who are, who are now refugees. For people at Highland Park, part of our Faith Promise missions giving uh, recently has been to um, give extra above and beyond to Church of God disaster relief. But for people not necessarily connected with Highland, how can um, they support in that way? Yes, you can go online to Chog Global. That's C H O G G L O B A L dot org. Chogglobal dot org, and um, if you go to the menu under the Give tab, you'll see disaster relief, and that will take you to a, a giving portal. And in the memo or comment section, uh, you can write Ukraine. And then those funds will be earmarked specifically for this crisis. Great. I know that you guys have done work with emerging leaders all across Europe and the Middle East in your region. Can you tell us about 
how that's where that is now. I mean, mm-hmm. just, you know, prior to, to the crisis, give us an overview of the kind of work that you're doing and maybe some stories or help us to understand how from that perspective of the networks and the relationships and the leadership development in churches that you've done. And, and now just to see how, how that's been in many, in many ways, those relationships and bonds have been shattered mm-hmm. as a result of this crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, about, about uh, 12 years ago, I worked on a project where I kind of traveled around the world and uh, to six continents kind of doing a survey of, of what are the biggest challenges our churches are facing in the 21st century. And one of the ones that just kept coming up over and over is a lack of um, young leaders emerging and um, not just um, young leaders emerging, but that there were no systems even encouraging it. So let's say you did have a call for ministry and you're 18, 19, 20, then what? Um, there, there, no one was tracking with them through their twenties, their thirties, their, you know, making sure that they, that they didn't just burn out or that they never were able to achieve the dream. And so this was something that was in almost every single country and even countries that had a lot of young people, like in Africa, they weren't utilizing them very well. So, um, when we went to Europe and Middle East, we created a, a network that was there to connect all and any young le- young people that were working in ministry, so that they would they would kind of form a, a family. We did all sorts of training. We have a regular conference where we bring them all together. Um, then they sometimes would break into their own regional conferences, and so this has been a really fantastic network because you know if you're a young pastor that's 25 or 30, you're not alone, and um, uh, someone is tracking with you all the time. We have a full-time team that's tracking with all of them. And so when they get into those difficult situations, you know, someone is there immediately, 24 hours a day. And and that leads to people not dropping out of ministry and young people not giving, you know, getting discouraged and becoming the healthy leaders they need to become. And then they can do it for the next generation. Now with this particular crisis, you know, it's, it's definitely, first there was the COVID crisis. So that meant our network couldn't personally come together as we do quite regularly in in person. So we kind of had to put that off, but you know, we have our next conference scheduled here, I think in October. Um, However, now, you know, this is very much affecting our Ukrainian and Russian young leaders because they, uh, they, they attend this and not only that, but I mean, the Ukrainian uh, young leaders were, were, were scheduled to give presentations at our next conference and we were all really, really looking forward to that. And um, the people that we're going to give it are literally on the run right now. And uh, so that's one challenge is just, you know, that we, we are all geographically divided at the moment. But, you know, another challenge is just that they're both in countries now that are going to be ha- feeding a lot of propaganda to everyone that, you know, you are to hate the other person. Mm. So they've been brothers and sisters, you know, in Christ. And I'm, you know, I have faith they can, will continue to be, but it's difficult because propaganda is really, really powerful. And so if you're in Russia, uh, you're going to hear nonstop horrible things about what Ukrainians are doing. And, uh, and if you're in Ukraine, you're going to hear nonstop terrible things about Russians are doing, but the, the way that propaganda can infiltrate even the church is something that we've seen around the world in the last, you know, five, six years. And uh, so that's very much a concern of, of ours, not just for our leadership network, but just for Christians as a whole, because um, uh, 
especially with the advent of social media and um, news channels that are really a dying medium. And so in order to survive, they, you know, create a lot of uh, anger and hostility to get the ratings up and a lot of, uh, you know, that kind of extreme talk because that's the only way you can compete with all these channels and streaming services. And so the church is falling prey to that. And so we worry about that in Russia and Ukraine, but we worry about that in, in, in every continent because that's happening all over. And so what can people do? I hear that. I echo that. Uh, we see that. I think most people listening would agree that's happening. So what are some of the lessons just on a practical level? How can we move forward in that in this time of polarization, in this time of readily available propaganda that's cause, that causes us to want to demonize and hate the other, whether it's another nation or a political party. I mean, what would you suggest for just kind of some healthy habits in this crazy environment? Well, my favorite healthy habit is um, going to people, engaging in people the way Jesus did. He went to the people that were mm. marginalized. We say that all the time. You know, we, we all grew up hearing that, you know, where people are like, well, Jesus went and he was with the drunkards and the prostitutes. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's cute. He's, he's, he's a good guy and he's hanging out with the bad guys. But, you know, think of it as the way it is now. Think of Jesus going and, and hanging out with the Russian-Ukrainian soldier or the Russian oligarch who's stealing from the world, you know, or um, someone who's committed a war crime or someone who watches Fox News or someone who watches CNN or someone who watches MB MSNBC, all these prejudices that the world has created in us. What, what ends up happening when you really get to know people, when you really engage with people the way Jesus taught us to, those stereotypes start to break down. You know, yeah, you know, a, a, a good example is I was recently in a, in a, in a small town and I won't, I won't say where it is, but it's very, very conservative. You know, everyone has very much the same political view. And I think most people would say they're all a bunch of racists. And um, while I'm sure there are race issues there, you know, you'll also find a lot of those people have adopted children from Haiti or Africa or China. Uh, it's so much more complicated than uh, we think. And so the, the number one rule for me is you got to get close to the people, mm -hmm. even the people that you don't mm -hmm. like. But two, you've got to be more skeptical of what the world is teaching you and saying, which I think we, we understand from the Bible as well. Um, you know, news channels, your best interests are not their best interests. You know, media, um, they're not there to care for your soul they're there to make money off of you through advertising same with social media you know we can enjoy seeing our grandkids on fa facebook or something but let's never think that this is kind of some kind of source of truth that we go to daily to kind of find a, you know no we we should go to the bible we should go to prayer we should go to engaging your neighbor who doesn't look like you or who doesn't vote like you and I think those are kind of habits of the heart and habits of the mind that we've really let slide. And it's really costing the church. You know, and I feel that it's easy to miss that the context of the entire New Testament was written in this <laughs> cross-cultural yeah. lens. You know, a lot of the Apostle Paul's, his, the, the primary thrust of his missionary work was bridging these formerly... Um, unbridgeable gaps, not only between Jew and Gentile, but socioeconomically rich right. and poor mm -hmm. and then male, female, mm -hmm. and then 
uh, social position, slave mm-hmm. and free. And he's like, all of this exists within a house church of 20 to 40 people, right? which we often forget. We're mm-hmm. not talking about mega churches. Right. We're talking about little communities of multi-ethnic diverse people. Romans 14 and 15 talks about the not passing judgment on these disputable matters. And it seems to me that the key is when he says to welcome one another. And that word welcome has a connotation of table fellowship, sitting Mm. down to eat Mm. with one another, sharing stories, listening, hearing, and then coming together for a purpose that's greater than any of us at the table, which is the Lord Jesus and and the Lord's Supper. And so there's something about Mm -hmm. relationship Mm -hmm. that interestingly enough, our social media and news, I think, drives us a wedge intentionally and it it causes the breakdown Mm -hmm. in the very thing that could heal us, which Mm -hmm. is relationship. Right. From a salvation standpoint, we say relationship with God is what saves us, Mm -hmm. but interpersonally relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And not just those that are like us, as you mentioned, right, right? But those who are different, and so maybe a challenge point, and as we're seeing this crisis unfold, is is to first understand um, that in our own backyards, in our own neighborhoods, who are the people that are quote the other, and what steps can we take towards them, right, right, to receiving towards welcoming? Are our churches places where quote the other can come? and mm-hmm. find help mm-hmm. and healing in Jesus? Right. Or will right. they be judged? But then also, as we think more globally, to realize that this conflict is, yes, between two countries, but there are people on both sides who don't want this to be happening. Mm-hmm. There are churches on both sides and believers on both sides that are praying for peace. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to demonize. And it's easy to see, to divide the world up into to bad guys and good guys. Mm. It's a little bit like a microcosm of what we've all been experiencing. You know, it's like a kinetic version of what we've all been experiencing for the last six years. Um, uh, of a, a battle, a civil, you know, a battle of demonization toward your opponent and uh, kind of forgetting their humanity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just about winning, you being know, right. being right. <laughs> And uh, here we're seeing it played out in a very, you know, violent, globally catastrophic form. Um, but it's kind of a look into the heart of where we've been as a society in, in many of our countries. Well, I think it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn who wrote the Gulag mm-hmm. Archipelago, actually himself imprisoned in Russia. Right. And the famous line from that book is that don't think that evil is just out there in political parties and between nations because the line of good and evil runs through every human heart. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. as we look at these macro issues and get upset about them as we should, Let's also not forget to look inward, as Mm -hmm. Jesus would say. You've heard it say, don't murder, Mm -hmm. don't do this, right? But he's saying, but I'm telling you, that starts in your heart as well. And man, if we can come to grips with that and repent, if we can humble ourselves and engage all of our relationships from that standpoint, at least that ripple of peace can begin with us. Yeah, absolutely. And healing in those relationships. Absolutely. You mentioned prayer, and I'd like for us to start to move there to think about how can we be praying for this 
pe- the people in this in in this conflict, the believers in Ukraine. I know we had a meeting last night here at the church, and you led us through some prayer points. Would you mind just sort of summarizing some ways that we can be praying in the midst of this crisis? Well, I definitely feel that we need to pray for women and children specifically. Um, you know that when you have this many refugees. Uh, leaving, it's a perfect time for sex trafficking uh, organizations to trick people. Um, and uh, this is already happening. Um, there's a huge market for children. There's a huge market for, for women, obviously. And you uh, were mentioning that it's almost like false pretenses, like, hey, we'll yeah, give you a ride right. and we'll get you out of the country. Yeah, we'll, right. Yeah, we've got a van. Let's fill up the van with women and their kids. And uh, we're going to get you out of the country or we have a place for shelter or, wow. you know, we're a relief organization, you know, but they're not. Um, so that's something that I think we need to pray about a lot. And also, you know, the, the Russian military does have a history of uh, quite a bit of violence toward women. And um, so I say that knowing that there are some women in the country I'm very worried about mm. who would be exactly the kind of targets that, you know, these uh, l- lonely soldiers who are humiliated, who make about $25 a month, um, who are usually drinking a lot of vodka, um, because that, that is how the Russian military is operating and kind of surviving. Uh, so I think it's a very, very ta- dangerous time for women and children. So we, we've got to keep that in mind. Um, I think we also need to pray for those that have found themselves in another country because that's just the beginning of a whole different journey that's complicated. You know, what are you going to do in this new country? How are you going to educate your children? How are you going to get a job if you don't know the language? What do you do with the fact that most of the countries they're going to already maybe have high unemployment uh, issues or a lot of anti-immigration sentiments? Um, So kind of the list of problems and challenges, you know, it's just a whole new set of them once they get safely, quote unquote, across the border. So I think that that's another thing that we should think about. Um, and then, of course, we must pray against the evil of this because this is this is evil. Um, what's being done is something that needs to cause the human conscience to really condemn it strongly, you know. Uh, this needs to be one of those moments where the world says never again. We said that before, and now we're saying, oh, I guess we didn't mean it because we are starting to see concentration camps and, you know, bombing of of cities just randomly and haphazardly. Um, So there needs to be a real new social awareness globally. But I would say also for the United States, you know, I think it's really a time for us to kind of, Uh, take survey of our country, you know, as much as we complain about gas prices or inflation or the political party that we hate is in power or not in power, you know, as much as we do that, we have it very, very, very easy in this country. Um, And even when we go through hard times, they're not hard times compared to most countries in the world, and we have way more resources to deal with them. So I think that it's a great time for the church to be humble, to realize we're blessed, to maybe give up on the... um, um, the little civil wars we're having and start to focus more on the bigger world out there and understand that um, we're here to be servants. I mean, if you follow Jesus, that is what you're signing up for. 
Um, if you don't want to do that, I always say to people, there are plenty other religions <laughs> that don't require servanthood. No, no, you can, yeah. there's a lot of different religions that they're, they're not going to demand that of you. They're not even, in, in some cases, they're not even going to demand that you not be prejudiced. You know, they're just, they're indifferent about that. But you know, if you want to be a Christian, then it is all about servanthood and humility. Um, and so I think that America kind of needs, the American church kind of needs a, a literally a come to Jesus moment. Mm. Sometimes in these moments, it feels so powerless to do anything. And so relationship is great. I'm so grateful for you all and the relationships that you have there. But in our powerlessness, I also think that's where prayer is born as well. A sense of, I can't do anything more right now. I'd like to, right? And prayer leads us into that. And I think the Psalms give us a language for prayer, especially mm -hmm. in pain. Right. I mean, 150 Psalms, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are, are Psalms of lament, are devoted yeah. to pain. And on, on good days, on sunny days, it's tempting to read those and be like, gosh, you're so dramatic, right? Like, mm -hmm. But in times of, of pain, in times of loss, in times of suffering, in times of confusion and chaos like this, these psalms give language, and I want to mm -hmm. read for us a psalm. Um, this is there, there's a whole group of psalms actually called imprecatory psalms, which is a fancy name for psalms of cursing, where the psalmist is asking God to intervene in injustice. They're asking God to. Uh, break the arm of the wicked. They're asking God to frustrate the plans of those that are, are perpetrating violence against the innocent. And I love that in our biblical sacred scriptures, we have language that not only can, but we ought to pray that gives us voice in these difficult times. And sometimes things that we might not dare pray ourselves but it's outlined for us and it's we're invited to to use these words to bring our lament to God, our our heartbrokenness for the innocent, for the women and the children that not only are caught in the crossfire of war, but are also targets of trafficking mm -hmm. and victims of abuse and exploitation. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, that has to affect us and it has to to um move us on on a human on an emotional on a spiritual level to say god this is not okay mm -hmm. and we are calling on you for protection we're calling on you for peace we're calling on you to frustrate uh, the the plans of the wicked yeah amen yes yeah. and so i'd like and to go ahead jamie i was just going to say as you remember last night we were sharing one of our leaders in in ukraine sent us some messages of just her thoughts on what this war is doing and one of the things she said is yeah one of the things she said was uh you know this is a time when we're actually living the psalms not just reading them and i have to believe that that's what you're talking about is what she was referring to so jamie as i read psalm three if you'd pull that up and read that for us and then patrick if you would just wouldn't mind just closing and, and kind yeah. of guiding us in some of those prayer points that, sure. that you that you did. And sure. those listening can join with us, yeah. not just to be informed about what's happening, but to join our voices together in prayer. So okay. this is Psalm 3. It's actually, the, the title of it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. 
So right off the bat, the context is David is fleeing from war from his own family that has turned against him. And as we know, both in Russia mm-hmm. and Ukraine, literally family on That's both right. sides of this, right? They're fighting each other. He's fleeing his home. He's mm-hmm. a refugee. Mm-hmm. And he pens this prayer to God. And so let's enter into David's anguish, mm-hmm. but also to, to, to allow that to lead us into prayer in this. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. And may your blessing be on your people. About a week ago, we received this from one of our young leaders, a young mother with two uh, very young sons. She wanted to share her thoughts on what she's processing uh, in these days in Ukraine. She says, looking at the first two weeks of the war, from my perspective, war is when you pack in 10 minutes with two kids and sit in a car and go nowhere, when you sleep at night only once a week. When your morning starts not with prayer and coffee, but with a call to your parents to see whether it was quiet in their city that night. When you lose your home and don't have any place to go back to, but you still want to be back there as soon as possible. When you don't see your children playing for over a week. When you forget how to smile. When your prayers are without words. When it seems you don't breathe when you physically feel nausea daily from the terror you hear and see, when you move all the time and the children ask, where's our home? And the only right answer is heaven. When you hug your husband and never know whether you can do it again. When the question, how are you, is equal to I love you. When you can physically feel the words, I am praying for you. When you hope without hope. When you don't have tears to cry anymore when your spirit fights daily with your flesh, when you live psalms, not just read them, when your faith is the only thing that gives you power not to die emotionally, when the church loses its walls but unites in spirit without any borders, when God's word is the only true source that gives explanation of what is going on and what is going to come, and when you realize that the authority of the almighty God and that it is he who creates history. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come to you with heavy hearts, Lord, and um, this particular situation we're watching has shaken all of us to the core and in many ways it exemplifies the worst of humanity and the best of humanity. And more than ever, we need the church to represent 
the best of humanity in this moment. We ask that the churches in Russia and Ukraine would, would be protected, that this would be their finest hour, that their needs would be provided for, that they would be able to go against the grain of society that preaches hatred and, and war and, and be able to live in forgiveness and grace. We pray for the congregations in the rest of the world and here in the United States that our hearts would be more broken than they've been. We've allowed calluses to uh, build around our hearts uh, where we're more interested in, in the opinions of, of, of politicians or news people or things that, that are not of God, that are not from the Bible, that are not about the world that we see today happening which is a, a world where there are women and children fleeing for their lives that are being preyed upon, that are being enslaved, that are being sent to camps. And Lord, we want to put our focus on those things now. And I pray that um, you particularly be with the women and children of the Ukraine and uh, that the forces that would align against them, the, the evil criminal trafficking networks, that exist uh, just to exploit them uh, would be broken, that new laws would be passed, that the world would just become less tolerant of those kind of uh, dastardly deeds because of what they're seeing right now, because they're seeing how vulnerable these children are, these women are. Uh, we pray for those who've been resettled in, in different countries, Lord, because their journey's just beginning. We pray that, that you would give them uh, wisdom and guidance of how to survive in these new countries, even if it's going to only be for a month more or if it's going to be for the rest of their lives. Whatever it is, the challenges will be immense. And we pray for a spirit of, 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 of charity in these countries because so many of these have, have spent the last decade being very hostile to refugees, very hostile to immigrants, and now they are flooded with... Um, women and children from the Ukraine. And we need people to have broken hearts for the refugee now. We need them to understand the immigrant. We need these images of, of, of pregnant women who've been, who've been bombed and children's schools that have been bombed to be seared into our hearts so that we know when we see someone in need that that's our duty as Christians to be there, to give, to give more than we believe we can, we can give. Um, we ask that this be a spiritual renewal time. Yes, it's the darkest time many of us have seen in our lifetimes, but Lord, this is the time where the church can be the greatest light. And we know that even at this moment, we have churches in the Ukraine right now who are modeling for us exactly what Jesus would do in this situation, which is giving, serving, not thinking about their own lives, but risking their lives to continue to reach out to their community, to continue to spread the word, to continue to feed people and offer them shelter. What can we learn from this, Lord? Let us be here in the United States, a country that has a much more open heart and is ready to be a part of a more peaceful 21st century. And we repent of all those times where we've kind of been distracted by material things or things that are just not that important when now we see how important and what a gift life is and peace 
and being able to live in a safe city or a safe country or a safe neighborhood, um, all of that stuff is so much more real to us. And so we pray, Lord, that this just be one grand time of, of learning for us, but also that your spirit would inspire us to give in ways that we never thought possible, that it would usher in a new era of innovation and giving uh, for the church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Patrick and Jamie, thank you so much for joining us for very meaningful conversation updates on what's going on. We're going to continue to pray for you and for believers around the world to be united in this time, that we would together be the body of Christ and be instruments of healing in our broken world. Thank you so much, Darren, for Thanks all that for you do. Yes, and for this opportunity. Thanks so much for joining us. Our goal is to get you moving on mission. Go to hpcc.church missions to sign up for weekly service updates in Casper and beyond. And follow our missions Facebook page at HPCC Missions. See you next time.